Oh man, <clears throat> man, when you uh, look at the words of that song and and um, and see the pain that was there because someone was experiencing something horrific and then wondering where God was in the midst of it. In the very beginning of the song, it says, "I found God on the corner of First and Amistad, where the West was all but one, all alone, smoking his last cigarette." And I said, "Where have you been?" And he said, "Ask anything." Ask anything. And you guys, again, we just want to say here at K2, we believe with all of our heart that when you open up the Bible, that one of the things that you're going to see is that Jesus Christ completely welcomed questions. In fact, I think he really honored people when they were really seeking after him and really wanting to know who, who God was and what this world was all about and why are things happening. Jesus loved that and he wanted it. And I believe he still does. And so we just want to tell you again, in the deepest places of your heart, whatever question you have, you need to know that God is interested in that question and he wants to meet you right there in the center of it. And I would say for anybody in this room today, if you're a Christ follower, if you are a Christian today, I think sometimes once we become a Christian, we feel like we should stop seeking (laughs) and we should stop asking questions and we really should honor God by not asking those. And man, there could be nothing further than the truth. We need to continue to go after God because there's going to continue as a finite human being. We're going to have questions for the rest of our life. And so, um, and I think sometimes um, honest questions are easier to just ignore them until life hits you with them. And then you can't ignore them anymore. When life hits you, you can't ignore them. And that's this question that we're talking about today. When something hard happens to you or someone that you love, some sort of tragedy, some sort of pain, some sort of suffering, then this question gets asked. In fact, George Barna took a survey asking people to say, what's the number one question that you have for God? And without question, it was this one. Why is there pain and suffering? And so the one thing that we can all, before we jump in here today, this is the one thing we can know, is there's not one of us who's going to escape this. (laughs) There's not one of us who's not at some point going to ask this question as we go through this together. And so, and I don't know you. Um, uh, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what question you have. I, just, I know this. Throughout this day, I'm sure that there's enough of us who are going to be here today that some of us are actually in the suffering right now. And, um, and I, 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 for you who are in the suffering, part of me just wishes that we could just, just sit down and just, and just be together. <laughs> Um, cause lots of times when you're in the suffering, you don't even know if you want to ask the question, but some of you are at the question asking stage. And again, I shared this, uh, yesterday or last week, there's no way, especially in the allotted time I have today that I'm going to be able to share with you an adequate answer for why there's pain and suffering in this world. I mean, there are books this thick, like lots of them that you could read to try to figure this out. People have tried to figure this out for thousands of years. But I do want to pray before we start in the hopes that what I am going to share with you might be enough, enough, at least like a nugget, something like an appetizer, like a piece of something that you might be able to grab onto as we try to grab onto as well, why this happens. So um, let's pray together and let's engage our hearts right now and open them up to God and say, man, God, this is, I need you right now to engage me in this question. Let's pray.
Father, we know that this morning um, we're going to look at one of the mysteries that we don't have all the answers for. And that's why I just want to come to you before we even start. And just say, I know, though, that you care about every person in this room. And that you are really glad that they're here and that you love them. And that you know the experiences of their life and what they're going through and those that they love. And you know what we need to hear today. And God, I, just, I also know that we also need the help of your Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our heart so that we can have any chance of understanding, really, anything, anything about you. So I'm asking for that right now in the name of Jesus Christ, that you might just take the word we have here today and make it make sense for you, and we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Best I can determine, and everything that I read and studied and the, some of the experts, if you want to call them that, that we've talked to, um, there really are three, I would say, different types of suffering um, that we experience here. There might be more, but I'm going to hit three of them. And the first one is the suffering that we inflict on each other. Almost all, not all, by any means, but the majority of the suffering that we experience on this earth happens because of the choices that we make as individuals. And we have to receive the consequences of the the decisions that other people are making. And I just want to throw uh, out this argument, uh, give all credit here to Erwin McManus, who's a pastor down in Southern California, and a message that he gave called, Does God Care? Uh, This first part, I got a lot from him. And here's, 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 here's how he went at it. See, we can't, some of us would say, you know what, I can't believe that there's a God. And we read some of those questions. I can't believe that there's a God if there's going to be suffering like this in this world. And that's that's okay. I guess I could say, okay. Let's just say that there's not a God. There is no God. Does that take away the suffering? (laughs) See, it doesn't. (laughs) We can say that there is no God, but now what happens is you and I are left to go through this world and it doesn't going to help. It's not going to make the world any better. If we choose to believe that there isn't a God, there's still human suffering. And part of it is, if we throw out God, if there is no God, then one of the things that has to happen is now all of a sudden we've got to take a lot of responsibility. Because if there's no God, then the whole reason this is happening is because of us. And really, as a human being, that's why I think sometimes we want God. Because I want to have someone to blame for everything that's going on here, right? I mean, that's a human tendency is always, man, when something is bad, we got to figure out who did this and who's to blame. It makes us feel better. That's why we get married. Because we find somebody to blame, right? All of a sudden, you, you just, you get inside this world, you guys, and we want God. And so we could say that he doesn't exist, but let's say, well then, okay, so great. So there's a God. Well, if there is, well, if there is a God, then why doesn't he stop me from doing these bad things? Why doesn't he stop people? And here's what's interesting, because as a human being, really, you want your freedom, don't you? I mean, as a human being, we want our freedom and we want to be able to make our own choices, but we don't want to live with the consequence of those choices. And so if we're going to get mad at God because there's evil and suffering in the world, then really what we should do is be mad at God for giving us the freedom to make any choices. 
And, and, and when you think about that, is that what we really want to do? Is because I think all of us want the right to be able to choose. And so I don't know if we want to sit there and say, hey, God, I am really mad that you gave me that freedom. Because can you imagine not having it? And so partly the answer to evil in this world and the problem is we need to look right back at the beginning and go, why are we free to choose? And part of it is because God said that he created man and women in his image. He created us in his image. He gave us the ability to reason and to think and a will to choose ultimately so that we could be in relationship with God and be in relationship with each other. And what is his image? 1 John chapter 4, verse 16 says it this way. God is love. God is love. And if you guys, if you think about love, which is the greatest experience in the world, what love is, is it, nece- it necessitates the ability to choose. Can you imagine, just for a second, as a created being with no ability to choose? No ability to love, no ability to be loved. There's only three words that came to me. Number one, when you don't have a, a, the ability to choose, we call that being a slave. <laughs> and that's not good. Also, or you could be in prison and you have no ability to choose. Or you could be like a robot. <laughs> you could wake up in the morning, right? Can you imagine you could just program your guys? Could you imagine just being able to program your spouse? You know, and just put, put this little computer program chip in and say, okay, great, this is how you're going to act today, and this is how you're going to respond to me today, and this is what you're going to do for me today, and you program her up, and she just runs through the whole day, and then you go to bed, right? And it was a wonderful day, because she did exactly what you wanted her to do, except love you. She didn't love you? So you guys, when you don't have the choice, there can't be love, and it is the greatest dignity and honor of human beings to be able to choose that we can reason and think and have a will. So, can we be angry at God because he made us thinking and reasoning beings? And part of the answer is, I think, for me personally, that's where I just go, I don't think so. So the question really becomes then, If I have this ability to choose, now what am I going to choose? And herein lies the problem. Because we often choose the thing that is unwise, the thing that is unloving, and the unrighteous thing. And every time we do that, we inflict pain and suffering. And sometimes we inflict it on ourselves. Much of the physical pain that we receive is due to a decision that we make for our own selves. Our emotions, our heart sometimes gets wounded because of the decisions we make. And our mind can get so twisted as we go down a path that God doesn't want us to go down. But not only do I inflict all of that on myself, every choice I make affects you. And all of us sitting in this room can think about that. Man, physical pain many times is inflicted on a person because of somebody else's choice. Emotional pain, where our hearts get wounded, most of the time happens because somebody else made a choice. And our minds get twisted. And it's really hard for us to think right when all around us, 
the world is a mess and people are doing things that are wrong. And you guys, so ultimately, here's what happens. Because we have this freedom and to choose, and we could choose good, but so often we choose wrong and what's bad. And also, here's what happens, you guys. Not only does the pain inflict ourselves, do we inflict it on others, the Bible's very clear that it makes the heart of God sorrowful. His heart breaks every time he sees us doing that with each other because he has created us to love and he's given us the freedom and the ability to do that. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says it this, says it this way. This day... I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God and that you may listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life. And you guys, I think every single day, Because God created you with dignity and because God created you with honor and because he created you in his image every single day, you and I have set before us blessings and curses, life and death. And every single moment of every day, God gives you the freedom to choose. And I love what it says there. So choose life so that you can know him and love him. So, part of the reason that we have evil in this world is simply because if we didn't have the freedom to love and the freedom to choose, can you imagine a life like that? It just, it wouldn't even be, we wouldn't be human if we didn't have that. So then the question comes up, if we're not choosing the right things, what is God supposed to do if we keep choosing to hurt each other? And here's another reason why suffering comes into the world. And this was some of the questions that came in here. And here's the question is sometimes, especially when you read the Bible, you'll see that God actually is the one who will inflict some suffering on some people. And that's uh, this guy here. He says, you believe I most assume that morality comes from God. God is constant and absolute in power, etc. It follows then that morality is also constant and absolute. What is good today was good yesterday which will also be good tomorrow and for so on all points in time and space. We agree, I hope, that rape is not good, that the murder of innocents is not good, that the murder of children is not good. If, as stated above, morality is absolute and constant, then why does the Bible state in Isaiah thirteen fifteen on Babylon that, quote, anyone who is captured will be run through with a sword, their little children will be dashed to death right before their eyes, Their homes will be sacked and their wives raped by the attacking hordes. How is this good or just? And the added suffering of dashing a parent's child to death in front of them, how is that morally justified? I tell you, man, there's some smart people asking these questions. And um, so what happens, you guys, when we open up the Bible and we look in here and all of a sudden you can see that God actually inflicts suffering and pain on people. Call it what you want. Discipline. Call it his wrath. Call it his judgment. Well, one of the things we know about God in Isaiah 5.16, it says, the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice. And the holy God will show himself holy by his righteousness. So you guys, there's one, there's a couple things we know about God from his revelation in the Bible. Number one is he is love. 
and he cares about every single person. But the other thing that's true about God is that he's holy. He is absolutely perfect in his ways. And he demonstrates, he reveals to us his holiness by his righteousness, by what is right. And so the question for me with this is, how does perfect love exist with perfect justice? You ever, ask, you ever think about that? How do I love perfectly and at the same time have perfect justice when things aren't going well? So here's my shot at this one. Exodus chapter 34, verse 5 says this. The Lord came down in the cloud and he stood there with Moses. And he proclaimed his name, the Lord, which would be Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Oh, I, I, see, I read that part and I just, I love that. The Lord. He's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness. He's maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. And then look at Deuteronomy 7, 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. But those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay to their face those who hate him. See, when you look at these passages, you guys, what for me, it shows how holy love Perfect love and perfect justice come together. What you will find, in fact, I was talking to my brother-in-law this week, and my brother-in-law is a, a, a theologian. He's a, he has his PhD in, in theology, teaches at a seminary. He's just a brilliant guy. And part of what he shared with me this week, too, is he said, Dave, he goes, what's interesting to me, because many times what happens is we look at the Old Testament. In fact, there was a question about that. Why were you so petty, jealous, and cruel in the Old Testament? You remind me of my dad and why my mom left him. <laughs> And, um, but what's interesting is when you read the Old Testament, though, you guys look at what it says. The, the Old Testament God is the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. He's the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him. See, but what, here's, here's what's interesting and I remember, I don't know if you guys have dove into the Old Testament, especially if you've read the prophets in the Old Testament. I remember in my, in my earlier days of Christianity, it was scary, man. I didn't even want to look at those passages. But as I matured in my faith and I read them, I understood what my brother-in-law was telling me this week. And that's this. Dave, he said, I don't feel like I can go by one page. It's almost over and over again. All God is doing is crying out to people, saying, stop doing destructive things stop hurting each other stop doing what is wrong and doing what is right and what's amazing actually if you look at it is how patient he is he never looks at somebody one time and says hey stop doing that and then when they don't do it he doesn't just wipe them out ever that's not how god works 
He cries out for years over and over again, asking people to stop. And you know what the world said all through the Old Testament? And I feel like what the world says still today is they said no. Uh Uh-uh. We're not going to stop. We're going to totally ignore you. Does that sound like parenthood, anybody? As a parent, when your kids, I mean, I'm sure all of your kids, all of my kids have their areas where you just go over and over and over and over and over again. You know, and then eventually you just get to a place where you're like, you know what, this can't continue because if this behavior continues, what's going to happen? You're going to hurt somebody or you're going to hurt yourself. And if I'm a good parent, I'm going to stop in and say that behavior has to stop. And so with God, with the whole world, and sometimes with whole cultures or individuals, over and over and over again, he's cried out and he said, stop. And then the people have said, no. And so what happens is, eventually God looks at that and he says, you know what? This culture is doing nothing but producing evil. And that has to stop. And see, so I think what happens in some of these instances, maybe in these questions, is we can look at a specific instant. And we look at that and we go, that's horrible. What kind of God would do that? Erwin gave the example of, of saying, it would be like you walking in on him and he has an axe. And there's somebody laying on the bed and he's got an axe and he's going like this. And you walk in and you go, what are you doing? I mean, you're you're horrific. He said, until you would understand that the person on the bed has gangrene, and if his leg isn't amputated, he's going to (laughs) die. See, then all of a sudden you go, oh, okay, go for it. You know, I mean, that's kind of a weird example, but I sat there and I thought, and I've shared this with you if you've been here at K2 uh, at all, it would have been like you um, standing outside the door when Susie and I had to, ad- to deal with Mariah's surgery on her face, you would have stood outside the door and you would have heard my daughter screaming and running around the house <laughs> and us going after her. And then finally, you'd hear her just blood curdle scream so bad that you would have said, this is ridiculous what's going on. You would have busted through the door. And you know what you would have seen? Is Susie, my wife, holding her down like this. And me on top of her, causing pain. And you could have come in and said, what are you guys doing? Call protective services immediately. See, but you didn't know the whole story. That if we didn't do that, then infection would get into Mariah's face. And then who knows what would take place. And she would suffer horrifically. And so you guys, sometimes we look at God and we go, what in the world are you doing? And what we need to realize is just like my daughter, my biggest fear for her going through that was she is not going to understand why we're doing this. I've really feared she would hate me and think that this is what my dad does to me. Oh, I hated that thought. But um, I think sometimes feel that way, some people feel that way towards God. And we go, what are you doing? And you guys, this is where for me, I am so finite in my understanding, and so are you. And sometimes I think we need to realize that our Heavenly Father 
understands things that we don't understand. Don't you hope that he does? See, this again is where I need a God who's bigger than me. I need a God who understands everything and who can see beyond me. Deuteronomy 29, 29, put it this way. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. And there are secret things, you guys. I do not know. I've all week long, I've let my mind wander into some horrific things that are going on in the world. I don't get it. I really don't. There are secret things that are so beyond me. Romans 11.33 puts it this way, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him, and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. So you guys, I think sometimes what I do at least is I'm trying to humble myself before God and just know there are some things I'm not going to understand. And what I think what's interesting is sometimes we cry out to God when he doesn't stop things. And then we cry out to God when he stops things. We don't like either one of them, actually. How come you aren't doing anything? And then when he does something, we don't like how he does it. And this is where I just have to go, you know what? He's so beyond me. And I just need to trust him. And so here my question is, again, for me, as I've thought through it this week, is this, again, is one thing I do know. None of us are going to escape this. None of us are going to get through this world. Evil exists. Pain exists and suffering exists. And we either have a choice to run to God or run away from God. And, um, and I'm going to show you here in a little bit why I think we should run toward Him. Let me just hit real quickly the third type of suffering. And that is that there are tragedies that come naturally. There are just accidents that happen. And they weren't produced by someone's bad decision or wrong, whatever. It wasn't intentional at all. And I think what's interesting here is we've got to realize that everything in creation is interconnected, that every choice has a complex reaction to the rest of the world. And that is why it's true that when someone afflicts, when there's an, a, a dad or a mom who's abusive, I'm telling you, that gets inside the person, and it's really hard to not somehow pass that on to the next generation, and then the next generation suffers, and they pass it on to the next generation And it does. Choices inflict us for a long time. And I think that's why some people are born and they're like, how come I'm so messed up? What happened? And then sometimes, you guys, our choices, our actions, they actually affect the created universe. This is so interesting. I can't get into this now at all. But how many of you go green? How many of you guys are really into green? I'm not talking Michigan State. Like, go green. Like, Okay, like four of you. Um, But what's interesting is in our culture today, people are finally realizing that literally the smallest decisions that we make actually really do affect the whole universe. It really does affect everything. 
And when we chose to separate ourselves from God, the whole universe went into disarray. Romans 8.18, I don't have this on the screen. Let me just read this to you. It says, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. I'm going to get to that in a bit. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, against creation's will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. See, so not just are we messed up, creation is getting messed up and it has been getting messed up through, again, choices that are separate from God. The whole universe is in disarray. And partly, again, Irwin's point on this was one of the things that does is it helps us see the brokenness, not just in ourselves but everything around us. And it helps us to realize that we need something greater to put our trust in. And where are you going to go, you guys, where are you going to go? When everything that's natural can let you down. Everything that's natural can let you down. Your health can let you down. People can let you down. Tsunamis in Samoa can come and they can go. Everything around us in this world that we live in is not dependable. There are no guarantees. And so again for me, I sit there and I go, so that's my, I, wouldn't, I didn't ask to be born. I came into the world and the reality is, I'm going to experience some suffering and some hardship, both from your choices, from my own choices. I'm going to experience hardship from the nature around me. And where am I going to run? And where am I going to go? And here's what's amazing is all of us have a choice about where you're going to go with the pain and suffering that you are going to experience. Joshua 24, 15 says it this way. If serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. See, again, there it is. If when you think about suffering and evil and pain, it has led you to a place where you say, you know what? There's no, I don't want to have anything to do with a God who allows that to go on. If serving Him seems undesirable to you, again, God says, then you are free to choose. And so, you guys, what we need to do here is if we're not going to believe in God, then we need to construct some sort of worldview for why there is suffering and evil and how I'm going to get through it because I have to live in it. The verse goes on to say, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. If it seems undesirable, you then choose for yourself whom you want to serve, but for me and my household... We will serve the Lord. Okay, I have 10 minutes left. And what I want to share with you in these 10 minutes is why in this question, God, are you good, really good, seriously? In light of the fact that we are thinking, reasoning, free will people who can choose. And in light of the fact that we don't choose very well, very often. And in light of the fact that God eventually, as a loving father, says that's enough. And in light of the fact that the creation around us is even messed up and groans and waits for the day where it will be made new. Why do I choose 
to believe that God is good. And why do I choose to be with him through this? Okay, here you go. Tons of scripture. So just soak in it. Let it soak in. Think about it. Write it down so you can take it home with you and look at it later. Okay, here we go. I gotta go. How is God good? The first one for me, he's good because he's holy. Because he's holy. And again, earlier said, and God displays his holiness by his righteousness. So in other words, you guys, what's amazing when you open up the Bible, God is never the one who's evil. God is never the one who's trying to do something that's wrong. God is always the one who's standing for what's right and who has even revealed to us what's right. That's why I run to him. Because if I want to find out what's right and how I can have a better world, life, and experience, then I need to go to the one who actually is right. And so Psalm 19.7 puts it this way. The law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. They give joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, more pure than gold. They're sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. See, so one of the things I can know as I go through the screwed up world and mess with my screwed up heart and my desires that are messy and selfish and just yucky, I have a choice. I can go to God and say, God, help me, help me know what's right. Because if I walk in the ways that are right, I have less chance to inflict pain on myself and to inflict it on you. And that's one of the reasons I think God is good. Because he's revealed to us what is right and what revives our soul and what gives us joy. The second reason I believe that God is joy is because he is love. You know, it's weird too. I know we live in America and I know everybody's experience is different. But at the same time, I, I can't help but think of all the good things that there are in life. And when a bad one comes, it seems to trump all the good. Even the beauty that we get to see every day is good. The warmth on our body is good. There's so much that God is good. You guys, in, in, in so 1 Corinthians 13 reveals to us what love is, that it is patient and kind and it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it's not rude, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, thank you God. It doesn't delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth and protects and trusts and hopes and perseveres, love never fails. And I have another verse here I don't have up on the screen, but it's in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, and it says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This passage freaks me out when I think about God. Because when I think about the suffering in this world, and again, that I am the one who causes much of my own suffering, and I am the one who causes suffering on other people when I don't make right decisions, and so are you. And sometimes we inflict it on each other. But here's God saying, hey, guess what? At just the right time, when you were powerless, what means you could do nothing on your own. At just the right time, when you were ungodly, when you were not like me at all, at just the right time, 
when you were still a sinner, which means you were screwing up all over the place and causing pain all over the world at just the right time, can I demonstrate my love for you? I'm going to die for you. That freaks me out. God does not look out to all of you and all of us in this world and say, man, if you get your act together, okay, come on, clean yourself up and stop doing this and then I'll love you. He says, you know what? I know you can't. You're a messed up person. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. You've made wrong choices. Your mind is screwy. Your heart's wounded. Your body's even being inflicted. Whoo, just the right time. Let me come and love you and let me die for you. That's how God demonstrates his love. And that's why in the midst of the screwy world, I have a God who's saying, I will rescue you and I will come in and I will be with you. God, he is love. And that to me is how I know he's good is he comes into my mess and even into my sin and he sets me free. Here's a third one. How do I know God is good? And this is the ultimate one. I know God is good, at least for me. I believe God is good. Because he takes the ultimate evil upon himself. Every choice I make that's wrong, all of my sin, either inflicts pain on my body or my heart or my mind. And every time I do that, Every time I do something wrong, I also not have an opportunity just to hurt myself. I have an opportunity to inflict you with pain and suffering. And what Jesus Christ did is say, you know what? I'm not just going to watch this from a distance anymore. I am going to take all of your choices that were wrong and all of the pain that you have felt and that you've inflicted and I'm going to take it into my body. See, because all of your pain and your affliction is separating you from God and you guys, there is nothing more evil. There is nothing more, in my opinion, awful than being separated from God. And Jesus said, I'll take all of your pain. I will take all of your sin and all of your choices and everything that you deserve for what you've done. And I will take it in me. By his stripes and his wounds, you're healed. Because he'll take it for you. Romans, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin so that in Christ we could become right with God. How do I know God is good in the midst of this fallen world is that he would come into the world, into the mess, and be the only person who would never deserve anything and he would take it fully, all of it so that I could be reconciled to God and have him in my life. And that leads me to the next thing, you guys. Number four, how do I believe he's good? Because then what God does is he says, now I will actually work on your behalf. This is the classic verse that we hold on to as Christians. It's Romans eight twenty eight, And it says, we know 
that in all things, all things, good, bad, evil, right, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. See, what we know with God is not that he's going to rescue us from everything. So you don't follow, you don't, you don't receive Christ and now, whoo, great, I am free from all the evil in the world. No, he goes, that's not, that's not true. In fact, you're going to have trouble. But I can tell you this, everything that happens to you, I will work for the good, you guys. So one of the hopes we have is when evil happens or when it comes, we can know that God says, I'm for you and I'm going to take that horrific thing like the cross <laughs> and I'm going to make it the most glorious thing like the resurrection. And he says, I will work in that for you. So he redeems the, the evil. Number five, he also says, once you get reconciled to me, I will go through this with you. I not necessarily am going to take it from you. But I will go through it with you. Look at this verse, Romans eight thirty five: Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, and that's what I need to know when I'm in it. Is I need to know that God created us as free beings and I can't escape this, but I can know that he's nothing is going to be able to separate me from him and he'll go through it with me. And that's why if I'm going to have to have evil and suffering and pain in this world, I want to know that there's a God who has more than I have to be in it with me, to sustain me and to give me the perseverance and the endurance. And then 2 Corinthians 1, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. We have a God who gives us that comfort. Two more quick and then I'm closing. Number six is why do I think God is good? Because he calls his people to eradicate evil. This is the challenge for me. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isaiah 1, 16, wash yourselves and be clean. Let me no longer see your evil deeds. Give up your wicked ways. Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the orphan, fight for the rights of widows. You guys, partly what God is doing is saying, is I want to be in you so that you can be agents of my goodness into the world. There's a whole lot of evil out there that would never have to happen if just people would let me live in their hearts so I could go and fight for justice and for what is right and for what is good. And so I know that God is good because he, every time someone totally surrenders to Christ, that life goes into the world as a light to overcome the darkness. And here's the last one. Here's how I know God is good. is because he will rescue us from this forever. Forever. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, and if you read what Paul was talking about, these were not light. They made him want to die. 
but they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. And they'll be his people and God himself will be with them and they'll be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and they're true. One of the reasons I know God is good is that this is temporary. And then eventually someday when we go home and we're with him for eternity, the suffering is done. We're like this compared to what we're going to have forever. He lives in me. And he takes on my pain. He forgives me for all the wrong I've done. He lives in me so I can get into the world and make a difference. And he gives me the hope, the hope of the future. I can't escape it. You can't escape it. But we can either run away from him and go through it, or we can run to him and go through it with him. And that's the best I got for why I believe he's good and why I'm going with him until the day I die. So, band, come on up and let's pray. Father, thank you for hope. We know there's no scripture that tells us why you do things or why you don't do things. We don't know why sometimes you intervene and sometimes you don't. That is beyond us. But we do know that you created this world to be a world of love. And we believe with all of our heart that you are right and good. I thank you that you're with us. I thank thank you that you offer us your very presence and your strength to go through this world. And I just want to pray for everybody in this room right now, including myself, that we might lift our eyes to you, that we might see you, that we might receive from you now as we close our service the strength and the hope and the comfort that comes with your presence in the midst of the screwed up world. We worship you because as far as we can tell, you're the only one who's not screwed up. And we need you bad. So thank you. Thank you for your word to us. It tells us I'm with you that nothing can separate you from me, that I will comfort you, that I will take on all your sin upon me so that you can be close with God. And thank you for heaven. Thank you for the hope of the future and perfection with you. May your grace and mercy fall on this place. In your 
comfort and your hope as we look to you in Jesus' name.